Welcome. I'm Sammy Lee, and this is Chasing Sammy, a podcast all about candid conversations with everyday people because we all have a story to tell, and sometimes hearing someone else's story is how we make sense of our own. Say It Loud originally aired live on June 9th and June 25th of 2020 on Magnet Theater's Twitch channel. I created this two-part special in response to the continuing racial awakening and civil unrest in America following the tragic murder of George Floyd. Say It Loud is a storytelling roundtable discussion amplifying Black voices unapologetically sharing their perspectives because Black stories matter. The lived experience of the Black community is not just oppression and injustice. There is beauty and resilience. Both stories matter. All links mentioned are available in the show notes. Okay, let's get into it. It's happening back to, to say, say it loud. loud. Uh, yeah, people Yay! can hear us. Yes. Oh my gosh, oh, we love that. Yeah, yeah, we like lost our voices for a second, yeah, but yeah. now they're back. They're better than ever. Yeah, <laughs> better than ever. Uh, this is the second installment of Say It Loud. Uh, this is a storytelling and panel show. Um, the first half is going to be stories from awesome black uh, black voices from the magnet community, mm-hmm. um, and the second half it's is going to be those same voices and then a couple extra special guests. What? Yeah. Wow. Uh, answering some questions about our special topic Which for the evening is. Do you want to do a special topic? Yeah, I did it. I did it last time and I messed up. Nobody heard it. Yeah, you yeah, you yeah. ruined the whole yeah, system. Yeah. No, uh, the special topic for this evening is Black Health Matters. And that just means that all of the stories that you hear will be about black health. Um, it'll maybe some will be like loosely related. Maybe some will be like exactly about uh, going to the hospital yesterday. We don't know. Yeah. We did not vet these stories. We didn't vet these stories. So they're going to be real and they're going to be raw. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're always going to be funny, but you might laugh. Yeah. Uh, you might cry. You might cry. Uh, but you're going to have a, you might be angry. Oh yeah. But you're going to have a good time. Uh, these are some wonderful stories and wonderful storytellers. Before we get to that, if you do have any questions, uh, again, about the stories or about the performers, throw them into the Twitch chat, which is where you're watching this right now. If you're watching this anywhere else, that's really cool, but yeah. I don't have answers for you for how to get how questions to us. Yeah. Uh, so put your questions into the Twitch chat. Yeah. We'll be uh, looking through those and possibly pulling some of them in to have our panelists at answer them. Yeah, they can also um, just generally be about Black health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I say we get started with our first storyteller. Oh my gosh, let's do it. All right. She is a comedy performer and writer who is currently performing on Magnet Sketch Team Newport and have a show this Friday night on Twitch. And by this Friday night, that's tomorrow. tomorrow. Uh, please welcome our very first storyteller, Dua Osman. Hi. Um, so coming to America, was a curse disguised as a blessing. Um, And this is the worst worst kept secret that every immigrant knows to be true. 
even though my life in Africa wasn't very easy, I had the privilege of growing up in an environment where everyone looked like me. Our newscasters, our musicians, our favorite dictator. Um, and so my experiences with racism in America made me realize what I've taken for granted. Uh, my family and I immigrated to a small town in America when I was 10, where I was one of only two black people in my entire elementary school. Uh, by the way, the other black kid, um, that was my brother. So I had only been in America for about a month. One morning, my mom was really sick. So I had to get myself ready for school. Uh, the regular routine was my mom always braided my hair in the morning, but in this particular morning, she couldn't. So I was a big girl and I decided to wear my hair in all its natural glory because why not? I had more important things to worry about like presenting my science project that I've been working on for weeks. Anyway, uh, I didn't make it through my first class before I was called into the principal's office. I didn't even know where the principal's office was. That was information that only bad kids knew. I walked in and my homeroom teacher was standing right next to the principal. And to say that they were looking at me very cross was an understatement. They were angry. They were pissed. And I was scared because I couldn't think of a single reason why they were mad at me. Like I said, I was a good kid. I did my homework. I was obedient. I had a cool science project that I worked on with so much passion. These are not the symptoms of a bad kid. But uh, anyway, I just remember my principal looking me directly in my eyes and just asking me several questions about my hair. It was an interrogation. There was no other way to describe it. How did this happen? Why did my mom allow this to happen? What was I thinking showing up to school so untidy? Uh, and I remember she didn't even let me answer any of the questions. She just picked up the phone, called my sick mother and told her to come and pick me up. My hair was a distraction in the classroom and it upset my teacher. And I just remember at 10 years old, I just sat there, stunned. Uh, this had never happened to me in my entire life. And not to be dramatic, but I felt guilty. I, like, I felt like a straight up criminal. Um, my mom came eventually uh, with clear signs of the flu, uh, rendering her too weak to argue against any of this. He took me to the parking lot because they wanted us out of the building. Like they just wanted us out. And she sat me, my mom sat me in the car, braided my hair in the car to the best of her ability without any jar of grease around. So bless her, she deserves a medal just for that. And I went back to the school and my teacher pretended nothing had happened, but the damage was done. I was humiliated in ways that a child could not maturely process. Um, it wasn't until hours later when I had to present my science project in front of everyone 
that I realized how upset I was. I stood in front of my class and to this day, I could feel everyone looking at me. Like, did they know that I went to the principal's office like a bad kid? Did they, did they also think that my hair is gross and unkempt? I couldn't help it. I burst into tears before my presentation even began. And the most fucked up thing about that day is that I didn't rightly blame my teacher or the principal. No, my anger was directed at my hair, at myself for daring to do what I did. And I never wore my hair naturally again, at least until my late twenties. So uh, just for context, I'm in my early thirties. So that was only <laughs> a few years ago. And uh, I, I wanna just say that I'm well aware that this is a story about hair or like who cares about hair? What does that have to do with mental health? But when you're a child being told that the way your hair grows out of your head is unacceptable, that you cannot participate in the society until you get rid of what is natural about you, then that seeps into all aspects of your life. Um, like what else is unacceptable about me? Uh, is my skin too brown? Is my loud voice offensive? Can I wear sweatpants or will I be suspicious to store clerks? Uh, all these thoughts permeate from that one small incident, especially when it happens to you as a child, because you're impressionable at that age and you believe what society tells you about yourself. And it never got better, honestly. I, I only became better at dealing with it. Um, I used to cry about it and then I stopped crying eventually and became angry and aggressive. And then after that, I stopped being angry and aggressive and just started cracking jokes about it. And uh, it's why I'm now a comedian. <laughs> it's my way of dealing with it. So I, I guess what I, I'm trying to say, and I want to end it with this, is that to any white people watching, if every single Black person you live with and perform with and work with is telling you that they've had at least one racist experience in America, there, there's 42 million of us. We, we can't all be lying. <laughs> So what, what I would love from white people is to listen to our stories and believe us when we tell you about these moments with, or for the most part, without video evidence. <laughs> Cause I have no video evidence of what happened to me at 10, but it's true, it did happen. So thank you for watching.
everything right now is uh, during, you know, uh, my my callus, my this overall black person callus is normally thick with two C's, but it's tender right now. So I've been, you know, diving into my usual suspects to film. Let hang on one second. Gotcha. Um, yeah, but, you know, I've been uh, going to my usual things to fill my tank, family, doing lots of calls, lots of zoomies with the fam, running, doing a lot of runs, uh, playing a lot of video games, and, and for newcomers, like, protesting. I've never been to protest before, but, you know, going to uh, a few uh, youth-led ones out here in Queens, I've just given me so much life, like, I don't know if y'all know, but these, these young people out here are amazing and they're motivated and just ready to ready to shake things up, and, and I love it. But today, I focused on uh, an old favorite, um, one sadly that the Roni has currently made impossible. Live, real deal, holy field, in-person concert. You know, it'll never not be weird to have to specify that a concert is in person. But uh, but anyway, it's, it's, I have a few that I like to mention that are near and dear to my heart because music is my happy place, you know? And, and these memories are like, are like little fruits, little fruits that I can, that I can eat when I'm empty, you know? And just remember and kind of bask in. But first up is uh, the electric lady herself, Janelle Monet. I had the pleasure of watching her perform at GovBall, New York City's GovBall in 2014. And it was a it was a celebration, man. Like like her singing about Afrofuturism with black people on the keys, black people on the horns, black people on the guitar, at a music festival, which is the playground of young white Americans, you know. It was it was powerful stuff and and I, I, I often think of that and Next, next up, I want to talk about, I mean, I don't know if there was an album like ever needed as much as uh, Solange's um, A Seat at the Table in the fall of 2016. Fall 2016 was a hot, hot mess. And in this time, she sent us a, a 51 minute, this love letter to black people. And I'm just incredibly thankful. The, to, to listen, you know, and, um, you know, so you best believe when, when I heard she was going to play at Panorama, which is also in, in New York City, where music festival, I saved up for a ticket, and, you know, she brought it, the performance was, was beautiful, it was, it was one of those, like, rare moments when, when the crowd kind of melts away, and it's like, you and a performer, and you're vibing, and like, like a, like, more than a hug, you know, like, like uh, like a, it was like a head on a lap, like laying your head on someone's lap and and saying, "I hear you." You know, it's it's okay to cry, it's okay to be angry, it's it's okay to be, and that's you know a gem that I that I hold pretty close. And um, you know, lastly, certainly not least, um, I'll leave y'all with a story about the Queen of Pop, Lady Gutton. No, not her. Beyonce, mm-mm, mm-mm, Janet Jackson, okay, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty, 
Now this one, took me back, took me back all the way back to like six-year-old me, like sweeping up the house with the fan while they're blasting like Luther and Evelyn King and Sounds of Blackness and like so many other just great musicians. And mind you, I didn't even really vibe with R&B back then. I, I really only wanted to, you know, I was a little, I really only wanted to listen to hip hop. It was cooler, you know. Um, but little as I know, as I was, you know, sweeping up, cleaning the house with the fam, and seeds were, you know, being planted. And, and the seeds would later sprout, you know, when I got older. And things like love and, and longing and, and heartbreak. But um, I say all that to say that I was thrilled to collect my old head card in exchange for Janet Jackson tickets in 2018. Oh, I, I, I had a blast and, and I'll never forget. So she was 40 minutes, 45 minutes into her set. She pauses, walks down stage. She's just glowing. She's, just, she's like super sane at this point. Like Goku would be like, chill, chill, Janet. It's too much. She waits until it gets quiet. She said, damn, that's a lot of hits, huh? Just stunting, just stunting on everybody. And we exploded. Everyone loses their minds. And then, you know, the queen proceeds to play 45 more minutes of more hits. It was spiritual for me. And man, I just loved it. And, you know, that's that's me. You know, these are a couple of my favorite antidotes that, that I, I pull on time to time when, when I'm feeling down. And, you know, I encourage you to plant a little fruit tree of your own, you know, and, and pick those suckers and uh, munch on those when you need it, you know, you deserve it. And uh, that's my story. Thank you, Valette, for that. That was wonderful. Yeah, um, Valette, I actually moved here the summer of 2014, and I wanted to go see Janelle Monet in concert, but I didn't know how to get around, and I was afraid to go out alone at night, so I didn't go. But Aww. I'm glad it was good. <laughs> <laughs> at least it was good. Yeah. Uh, our next storyteller is a comedian, writer, performer at the Magnet Theater, and he is best known for writing the explosive article Clueless Reboot set in Brooklyn titled Bitches You Dumb on Flex Mag. Please give it up for Gregory Cornejo. Hey everybody. Uh, so my mental health journey began when um, three of my family members died in quick succession. Uh, my grandmother died uh, suddenly, my aunt uh, had finally succumbed to cancer, and then I had a, a cousin who committed suicide. So I was lost and hurting. Um, I just needed somebody to talk to uh, that was covered under my health plan because <laughs> my pockets are not that deep. Uh, 
So I found somebody, I did some research, I found somebody uh, and I go walk into the office, uh, which was kind of looked like, it was very brown. It looked like it belonged in, uh, what's that show? Uh, Stranger Things. It was like a set of a Stranger Things. Uh, so I walk up the stairs to get to the office area and I hear laughing. And I'm thinking to myself like, oh, I, I didn't sign up for group therapy. I signed up just to meet a therapist. So I keep on walking towards the laugh and I see um, a sign that says Liquid Church, which was confusing to me because then it was like, they're, they're having fun. Is, it, is, this, is this a church meeting that they drink at? Is this like a party? So anyway, I, that wasn't the room for me. Not at that time, I guess. So I looked around and I finally found the office that I was supposed to go to. And I saw the therapist. She was a very nice lady. She was wearing a flowy dress with like wooden beads. And she looked like she used healing crystals and like those Buddhist bowls and could align my chakra with a dash of soccer mom. So I sat on the couch. She sat in her chair and for six months religiously uh one day a week uh we spoke and she she gave me really good insight on how to deal with the loss and uh just uh, the the issues i was having dealing with so many people dying in my family so quickly uh and also we were trying to figure out what the hell liquid church was laughing about this whole time and i'm telling you they were drunk they had to be drunk um so things were great my guard was down and you know i i decided to i figured i could talk to her about daily life right because this other issue was kind of resolved because i had uh, done a lot of work on that um and, uh, you know, I just wanted to talk to her about daily life, what it's like for me to be Black in America. You know, microaggressions, like people holding their purse tight, uh, whether I'm wearing, when I walk past, whether I'm wearing sweats or a suit, it doesn't matter. It's still like people perceive me as a criminal, which is odd for people that know me, because I only steal hearts. Um, so I told her that. Uh, you know, about the microaggressions. And she responded like, what? No, that's not true. I don't believe that. Which in turn wanted me to scream. Uh, but, you know, I can't scream alone in a room, like with the white woman alone in the room, like that's not really safe for me. The liquid church probably would have come in, try to stop me off for Jesus, you know, and then they would have called the cops. I don't want any of that. So I just smiled through it. Uh, waited for my session to finish. It was mid-November, so she uh, wanted to, you know, it was vacation time, people were gonna go, uh, you know, it was holiday time, people were gonna go on vacation, she was going on vacation. So she wanted to schedule something for us to meet in January, and January came and went, and I hadn't, I never went back. I never went back, because she, what she did was, first of all, I didn't feel like it was professional, right? She completely negated my experience. And secondly, she was basically calling me a liar. So that just put my walls back up and I was not feeling going back to this woman again. Uh, 
I knew I knew at that point after she did that to me, I knew I needed to get therapy from someone who respected and understood my experience. Today, I, I know I only feel comfortable going to black health, uh, mental health professionals. Um, but uh, African-Americans are not really well presented in that field as much as we would like. So they're hard to find. It's been three years and uh, no luck yet finding anybody for me to talk to. I'm about to join the liquid church so I can laugh, get drunk for Jesus or do whatever they do. That's it. Thank you so much, Greg. That was great. It is really hard to find uh, a black doctor. Yeah, and that I can only imagine how frustrating it was to find someone that's like, this is working, and then to have it shattered by like the easily one of the dumbest of reasons. Yeah. Um, but thank you for sharing that. Thank you. That was great. Uh, our last storyteller for the night is an actress, improviser, educator, and a musical house team performer at the Magnet. Everybody, please put your hands together at your homes for Cheryl Horn. Yes, it's on. I am daughter of Rita and David, youngest sister of Chanel and Crystal, the aunt to the coolest twin duo since Tia and Tamara, and God's favorite child. I am lover, thinker, artist, feeler, friend. I am teacher to few and hopefully educator to many. I am a woman, and this may come as a surprise to everyone here, take a second, I'm black. I know, I know, take it in guys, take it in, we're learning, we're all, we're all figuring things out. This is a time of new discoveries, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm black. Like ever since I can remember, there has always been a closet in my house with only plastic bags, kind of black. I'm like, um, if your potato salad is in yellow, thank you. I don't, I don't want it, kind of black. I am, of course, I've been followed around a clothing store, kind of black. And yes, I'm sure they were following me, kind of black. And it's not exactly the kind of thing you explain. So if you're asking for more details or explanation, you probably wouldn't understand to begin with, kind of black. I'm also overcompensate with the smile so that people know that I'm a non-threatening black, kind of black. This isn't something I'm exactly proud of, and it's not something I was taught to do explicitly. It's just something that I learned or picked up, as many of us have. At a young age, I saw those who shared my complexion, and I saw the way those who shared my complexion were viewed by those who don't. And in my young, childish, black and white mind, there were good Blacks and bad Blacks. And I know how this sounds good Blacks and bad Blacks, but believe it or not, I wanted to be 
one of the good ones. And I saw those images of good and bad. For example, the good blacks, my dad, the Roslyn police department officer. I can still see his academy photo where he's wearing a crisp light blue uh, shirt. It was the 80s and a very skinny I look at my mother, who's a uh, alternative high school teacher's aide, and she works with kids who come from all different backgrounds. I think of my pastor and apostle, um, how they have literally built orphanages around the world, and how they have devoted their lives to feeding the spiritually and physically hungry. I think about Renee Porter, uh, my second mom slash like first theater teacher, she single-handedly introduced me to theater and helped to cultivate my love of all things arts, all things art at a young age. But then there were the bad blacks, the, um, the aggressive thug in the police film, the bad girl who's cursing out the bus driver from the back row, the police sketches that were always featured right before the commercial on the local news, and who despite their dark, gray shade, they always, you always knew they were black. Once again, I wanted to be one of the good ones. And I know now that this was for safety and acceptance. This is, was a response to the negative images that I was seeing. I couldn't understand or articulate those feelings as a kid, but somehow instinctively, I knew to play small. So I always had this loud voice and I was a uh, fairly tall, lanky child. So playing small wasn't a physical, it wasn't a physical thing. It was something deeper. It meant being agreeable, malleable, and most importantly, being quiet in those moments that mattered. But I was a child. So being motivated by safety and acceptance, those are completely normal, completely understandable. Yet as a result, Although I had a generally happy childhood, many of my K through 12 memories in my predominantly white uh, K through 12 experience were heavily seasoned with microaggressions and experiences where I didn't feel I had the tools to speak up. And that has shaped the way I navigate through life as an adult. So let's talk about, let's go down my list of the times when I played small. 2017, first day of my job as an English teacher. I made it. It's a private school in Long Island, predominantly white. I'm one of two black teachers, but I'm excited to expose my students to the diverse artists that I know and love. Marjane Sertrappi, Amy Tan, Sherman Alexa, um, Sherman Alexi, Sandra Cisneros, especially popular Black artists like Toni Morrison, Langston Hughes, Zora Neale Hurston, Lorraine Hansberry, and I even wanted to teach Ta-Nehisi Coates, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, um, Angela Thomas, Trevor Noah. Don't worry, I taught white authors too. So I go into the study hall, it's probably like mid-September, and I'm helping a student with his schoolwork, and he's just not focusing. I'm using all my redirection techniques and nothing is working. So I try to level with him and make the mistake of saying, bro. I say, bro, you have two questions left. Let's just get it done. And he explodes. Bro, 
Did you just say bro? Are you from the hood? That's exactly, uh, I cringe when I think about it. That's exactly how he said it. Are you from the hood? All eyes are on us. I hear the stifled laughter of some students. I hear the, or I see the shocked looks of others. My whole body goes warm. I'm deeply embarrassed. My eyes are prickly. I feel shame sweating through my brand new pantsuit. I still remember the outfit I wore on that day and how I felt. And then I remember the immediate plea of, please don't call my mom, please don't call my mom, please don't call my mom, please don't call my mom. We called his mom. We called his mom, but I did brush it away with a simple, or I allowed him to brush it away with a simple, I'm sorry, the next day. I didn't teach him the power and the effect of the words he uses. I didn't tell him how ignorant what he said was or judgmental, not to mention embarrassing. I just let him off with a simple, I'm sorry, let's move on, let's not talk about it. I played small. 2013, I was doing clerical work at an auto parts store and having a meaningless conversation with my white coworker. She was telling me about a guy who hit on her at Target over the weekend. She goes, so I'm ringing up my lean cuisine and this, um, black guy hit on me. And she just goes on with the rest of her story. I honestly couldn't tell you what the rest was about, but I, I feel like that time I didn't have to play small. She did it for me. She whispered the word black the way she did countless times as if it were a curse or a sin or something dirty or something to hide or something, something bad. And so again, I didn't have to play small when she mentions the word black like it's something to be ashamed of. 2020, I'm at a rehearsal for a show with my classmates and I'm the only, with my castmates and I'm the only black person there. We are working on a show for weeks and weeks and weeks kind of building the bike as we ride it kind of thing. The environment was presented and felt welcoming and open and creative and collaborative, but I found that week after week, what I brought to the table was repeatedly brushed off. I, I, my suggestions weren't respected. My voice wasn't heard. And I could yell and scream and, and tell them off and tell them why they should listen to me, but there I would be the angry black woman. And that's always in the back of my mind. Every decision I make is trying to, trying to avoid these stereotypes that I know people automatically have when they look at the color of my skin, the size of my lips, the shape of my body, the shape of my eyes, everything about me, the way I do my hair. And so to avoid that title, to avoid that perception, I stay quiet. They don't see me. Maybe they want to, but they don't. And I stick around silently hoping things will change. I don't have dates for these next examples. It's just countless. Countless times when I was asked to speak for my entire race. Countless times I've heard someone say, listen, I'm not a racist. It's just countless times when I've been told that I'm not a real black girl. Countless. And to be honest, I am, I'm tired 
of picking and choosing my moments, picking the battles that are big enough and picking the ones where I stay quiet. I'm tired of worrying about being accused of making everything about race because for me and my experiences, it is about race. I'm tired of making myself small. I'm not an obstacle. I'm not a threat. I'm not to be shunned. I'm not to be tolerated. I'm not to be tiptoed around or whispered about. I want to live in a world where I can freely talk about my blackness without fear of making people uncomfortable and clam up. I joked earlier about the fact that I'm black. And I feel like obviously it was a joke. It's undeniable to anyone under the sound of my voice that I am black. I'm undeniably black. So I wrote this as a call to action to myself and to those like me who have spent the, too much time playing small where it doesn't serve us. I'm no longer participating in things that do not serve me and playing small does not serve me. So instead, I'm making a choice to be black and proud, black on purpose and black out loud. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Thank you for taking up space. Yeah. Um, it is now, Cheryl was our last storyteller. It is now time to move towards the panel, which is where we get to talk a little bit more about some of these stories and just about uh, each other and our wonderful lives. And Black Health. And Black Health. Um, let's get everyone to come on screen. We're gonna go to a gallery view now. Um, so if everyone could just turn on your cameras. We have a, a couple of people joining us for the panel who you didn't see telling stories. Yes, uh, on top of our uh, four amazing storytellers, we have two more panelists joining us. <clears throat> the first is Miss Uzuri Holder. She is a licensed clinical social worker that is a frontline worker during COVID-19. She works in the city hospital and is a clinician for a private clinic in both Queens, in, in Queens, New York. Mm. Excuse me. <laughs> Within the hospital, she works with people of all ages in private therapy sessions, and she specializes in children, adolescents, families, and millennials that have experienced trauma in the nature of sexual assault, domestic violence, child abuse and neglect, elder abuse, and or human trafficking. Uh, and the second panelist joining us who is not a storyteller is the Say It Loud creator, director, and producer, Sammy Lee. Hey. <laughs> uh, welcome to both of you. Thank you for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, and we'll kick it off with a, with a real kind of broad one. Yeah. Uh, how's everyone been coping mentally? Yeah, how we doing? How we doing, gang? Uh, <laughs> it's been pretty rough it's been rough i think i think i think especially for me just speaking from my own experience it's been it brought up a lot of old memories of like the first time i dealt with police when i was younger or like uh you know just instances of things that i think a lot of us have in common that uh experiences that we went through and it was and we hide them you know a lot of some people are able to just be free and be themselves and then other people we kind of hide it and we we learn to deal with it right like and we we make ourselves small cheryl mm -hmm. we make our you know what i mean and and to not 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 to be someone to to be a target almost right yeah 
and and we should allow you know because there's that too that too the, the 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 two different forms of us right the one we are together and then when we're around other people right mm -hmm. and yeah so like all, all that comes into account and you spoke beautifully because that's something that i've been trying to do as well like you know i don't care if people feel uncomfortable around me i didn't do any we you know we don't do nothing we just are and then people feel uncomfortable by it so just uh, you spoke so beautifully and and yeah this time is a little hard it's it's not a little hard it's a lot hard because it's bringing up things that we try to suppress a lot and just continue our day with but they should be things that should be dealt with definitely our I, so i'm gonna assume that no one's doing great um <laughs> what what kind of things are we doing to cope with our mental state and to cope with the state of the world I'm finding it incredibly helpful to unplug and listen to myself when I feel uh, overwhelmed or I, I feel like it's just an influx of information, stories, hot feet. You know, I, I, I never did that before, all of this, and um, it is helpful. And a, a small part of me felt a little guilty for doing it. I'm ignoring what's going on, but first and foremost, I can't help anyone until I help myself. So I need to pull myself away for 12 hours or, you know, not tune into on Instagram for a day or two. That's what I need to do. And then come back, um, ready to combat the issues of today. But, um, yeah. I'm finding that helpful. And that's something that I newly discovered during this season. Cheryl is so interesting that you bring up the guilt aspect of it. That mm -hmm. is, I, I'm sure we all feel that I'm like, I guess like, if if we're on a one one to ten of like someone being their sign, I'm like a fifteen Libra. So like, <laughs> I'm Libra. You're Libra. Yeah. I love uh, Libra. Um, it's it's <laughs> it, it sucks so much to feel like not not only like can I like if, if, one it feels like wow I already feel like I can't really do anything, and under normal circumstances where I would try, it's like oh I don't even want to like try right now because i have to take care of me um mm -hmm. that guilt aspect of it just like sucks a lot yeah i, I feel mean, like i've oh well no go ahead yeah. uh, i feel like i've been getting a little bit better at being selfish and taking like a little time for myself it's something that i like hate i hated to like call out of work or to be late or to be like i can't do this show or i can't do this mm -hmm. i feel so terrible but um, I've just been like, you can't, you can't. You're just, what, are you gonna go cry? You're gonna go cry on stage for an hour? Nobody wants to see Nobody that, just take the time. Yeah. 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 So. No, I mean, I think that's, that's the whole thing behind all of this. It was, to me, I feel like when you see, when you speak about black health, it's, I mean, it's, it's your body, it's your mind, it's, it's, it's beauty, it's fitness, it's nutrition. It's taking into account all of those different things. And it's like, okay, one, how are we showing up in the world? How is the world showing up for us? And what are we doing when there's no one around to, to, to see what's going on? How are we refilling up our cups? You know, so like, you, you know, like when people hear health, they automatically think like medical or that kind of thing, but there's just so much of just taking care of your own well-being. You know, yeah. like I think each and every one of the stories that you guys have shared touched on all of it from like, your hair and how that represents, you know, the way people perceive you. And I remember that moment when I, I, I was a part of the Creamy Crack um, too. 
I used to perm my hair straight, whole deal. And I remember the moment of just constantly feeling like awkward and just not really loving what I looked like or how I felt or any of those things. And I remember when Lauren Hill, and this is touching on um, Vela, when you were mentioning music and how like music is that, that, that thing that can fill you. And I remember she came out with, with um, Miseducation and I was just like, this <laughs> is freaking gorgeous. She's rocking locks, mm-hmm. game over, <laughs> cutting off my, my, my hair. Actually, no, I did not cut off my hair. That was the like, second time I grew up my locks. I remember braiding my hair and letting it grow out with the braids because I still felt insecure with having my own hair and mm-hmm. showing it in that transition, you know, of just going, just wearing my hair as it comes out of my head. So I totally relate to that story, you know? And, and the same thing with mental health, like getting gaslit by your therapist is freaking ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the whole point is for her to validate your story. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I Cheryl, <laughs> Cheryl, <laughs> like you just brought it home with the whole <laughs> idea of just like, hey, I'm black, like <laughs> that's like, and period. But yet it's always this thing of having to make, it feels like you have to apologize when you're in spaces. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like, why should I? When it should just be a celebration. If, if you can celebrate being Irish or Latina or Latino or what, or Lat, Lat, Latinx. I don't, I don't know what the, how to say it out loud. I haven't, I've read it that way. I'm working on that part. Anywho, uh, but if you can celebrate all these other cultures, like why can't we celebrate our culture? And it yeah. just, and it took me a long time to find the right language for all of that. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I can. Um, so for me as a therapist, my mind is always on how can I support my client to the best of my ability? But just as a, a person who's been in therapy myself, I remember a period of time in, in my life, I was really overcome by this anger. There was this anger in me that I couldn't really understand. Like, I'm the person that helps people. I'm not the person that needs help. And, you know, all this other kind of spiel, you know, I am superwoman, hear me roar, like all of that stuff. And um, it was starting to break me down. So um, my godmother, who is this fierce um, black social worker, and, and, you know, she's everything black. but, But when you hear her, she doesn't sound black, just as you were saying, you don't seem black, right? That kind of person. But she was very big on owning your blackness and taking care of your mental health. So she encouraged me to go to therapy. And when I was looking for a therapist, I said, you know what? Um, I had been in therapy once before when I was a child, because I lost my mother when I was 12 um, to breast cancer. And I said to myself, um, I want a black therapist right? I need someone who I don't have to explain um, what it means to be Black to you already know, so I can just talk, right? And so when I was looking at my insurance panel, I'm like, it doesn't describe to me who's Black, who's not, so I have to go by name, because (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to look by name, because there was no directory. Like, now you have therapy for black girls. You have all this whole directory, right? Where you can start to see black clinicians and they come together if they pay to be a part of that, right? Yeah. But it wasn't then when I went. So when I was looking, I, I was starting to give up because I couldn't find someone. So I went with the older Jewish woman and she was nice, right? But then into the third or fourth session, 
my girl started falling asleep. And then, <laughs> and then I had to keep repeating what I was talking about, like my story over and over again. So I said, hold up, hold up, hold up. I said, miss. And, and I never wanted to, I felt guilty at first confronting her about this, but I said, hello, I'm paying my good dollars, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a social worker and I don't make this much money, so I'm not going to be paying you my $15 <laughs> every week for you to fall asleep or I have to repeat my same story from top to bottom mm -hmm. again. So I said to her, like, this is what's going on. And she apologized to me. And not even like a week later, her son texted me saying that she would be stopping her practice indefinitely. I think the woman was getting dementia, but she could operate in this space for however many years, knowing that she's forgetting stuff, knowing that she's not in the right mind, but you and I could not do that. Wow. Because somebody would be calling into question, you oh. know, our competency, right? So, you know, after that, I, I took a chance and I was able to find a black therapist and she was great, right? She understood me and I was able to thrive. I didn't have to explain anything. And so for me, I've always wanted to be that. So when I meet with my clients, I keep that in mind. Like, how am I understanding where they are? How am I um, using myself, but also what I know to help guide them, but also not tell them what they're feeling. You know what you're feeling and how inappropriate is it for me to say, oh no, you're not feeling that. No, you, you felt that, you know what it is. You experienced that and it's not my job to tell you you didn't. Now, now what's my job is to help you understand that. What does that mean for you? And how can you utilize that and use that to transition from there and grow? Like that's my job. Wow. You got the job. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Give us your information. You're going to be all of our. <laughs> Whatever you need, I'm here. It takes a village. <laughs> oh, god. No, go, Sammy. No, uh, so Azuri, just really quick yes. though, I was curious since yeah. I know that you are actively still working during yeah. all of this and you're still seeing clients and you're working within the hospitals not to make this a heavy hitter or a down or anything just out of just you know like what has that been like for you being on the front lines of a pandemic that is something that's impacting <laughs> us while still serving others like Ooh, child where <laughs> do i begin <laughs> well um i think you know when it first happened right there was so much misinformation given, right? First of the thing we were seeing was black people can't get it, right? They were memes, right? The melanin in our skin yeah. saved us. So we were just out here arrogant, like we can't get nothing. <laughs> Damn, you know, living, right? Talk, said young people can't get it. Yep. You know, there was a whole bunch of who can't and who, the, and they had no idea, right? And so I think, Initially, when it first started happening, we all had the arrogance, right? We all had that. So, I mean, the one good thing is my hospital, they were like one of the first few hospitals that were like March 16th. They were like, no, nah, all of y'all got to wear masks. I don't know who you are, but you wearing a mask. You enter this hospital, you wearing a mask. You work in this hospital, you're wearing a mask. So they were doing that, whereas some hospitals were late on that. 
And so, and as a result, their numbers are higher. We only had one death of an employee, whereas other hospitals may have had more. So, I mean, not saying that's great. We don't want any deaths, but the one, you know, we can, we can take. Um, but I think initially it was difficult for me because I was on the heels of, we lost our director. He got let go. And then bam, they were like, you and another person, you're running the department and COVID, bam. What? So when it first started happening, I wasn't coping well. I wasn't using the coping skills that I know. So literally I was like snapping at people and my boo was like, um, you were, <laughs> I was five seconds from being like, you got to go somewhere because we, because <laughs> I was in there snapping, like, you know, snapping, and that's how I get when I'm stressed, just snapping at people, right? And so I had to process that. There was times where I was literally, I was sleeping on end, coming in and going to sleep from like six, seven o'clock at night because I just could, I was exhausted. I was exhausted. So um, it was really, um, each moment I had to remember what, my purpose was and understand that I can't be for other people if I'm not for myself. So I had to really, I'm, I'm Buddhist. I'm a practicing Buddhist. So I had to chant, like I had to, <laughs> I had to, because it was too much for me. Right. And so I had to chant and then I had to find little things that I could do to help me unwind each and every day so that on Saturdays when I'm doing therapy that I could show up for those people. Monday through Friday, when I'm talking to families like, you know, I don't think he's gonna make it, how I can console them, right? I was also doing the virtual visitation. So meaning I was going into the COVID rooms with an iPad so families could say their goodbyes. So I had to find my way. And sometimes that was as simple as doing a word search, right? Sitting. I come home, I'm not doing anything else. And and I think having supportive people around you is important. Your circle is important. So my boo jumped in there. He was like, okay, I'm a cook. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, you know, he's asking how things are going. You know, go ahead. You go over here. I'm not going to bother you for anything. You go ahead and do what you're going to do. And, I, and it, it allowed me to unwind, right? And so you have to put you first in this situation because... COVID started to quiet down and bam, we're thrust into people killing people because they're black, right? Um, it's been happening, but now it's like, oh, let's talk about it. Hey, we've been telling you this is going on, yeah. right? Yeah. And so we're thrust into that. So you never really got to fully deal with COVID and now you're dealing with how am I in this space as a black person? right? All the stories, all the videos, it's, it's too much. I don't watch all of them. I can't, and I'm not even going to do that. So trying to help guide people through that, but I have to guide myself through it first. Yeah. That's how I've been able to cope. Cause if I don't take care of me, I've been watching every morning. I get up and watch my wilding out videos. <laughs> watching wilding out. <laughs> I'm in the shower watching it because I have to gear my mind yeah to go in there like I had to to start with joy right right and so that made me laugh so I'm watching the same thing over and over again family feud videos like little uh, like stuff like that I can't watch anything too deep I, so you know boo was watching queen and slim and ooh. just mercy I'm sad I'm ooh. sorry I'm gonna I just want to laugh that's a lot that's a lot <laughs> no, now no no we no. 
we ended up putting on loose one night. Oh yeah, loose. We, Have you guys heard of that Octavia Spencer? Oh, put, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Oh, we watched it since. Oh, it's it, very. It's good. a really good movie, yeah, but yeah. don't watch it it's now. Heavy. <laughs> yeah, no. Can't do it. I'm sorry. I'm gonna leave yeah. that to you. Yeah. No, no, no. It was a mistake. I'll admit it was a mistake. <laughs> um. So I think a a theme that I kept hearing come up in everyone's stories was uh this idea of being a good black person. Yeah. Um, and I kind of just want to know what that looked like for different people and how you're starting to shake that or maybe you've totally taken it off or maybe you put it back on in certain occasions what does that look like for everybody well I think like pertaining to my story it's always been about white comfort that's what a good person a good kid and a good black person is it's always um my dad always said black people don't need police because we do a good job of policing ourselves and that's just like my whole life and every black person I know's whole life is just how do we police ourselves so these white people are not uncomfortable in any kind of way you know don't make the store clerks uncomfortable the bank tellers uncomfortable um, your teachers uncomfortable um, so that's really what it means to be good is to be sort of com complicit in your own discomfort and obviously that changed now because I'm a proud black woman where I wasn't when I was 10 so yeah it's it's just just being a good I don't know it just it, it just changes because of but it's so tied to whiteness like your goodness oh and that's sure. so unfortunate that it's been that way for a long time because it's, it has nothing to do with how good you are inherently how good you are as a human being you know we never think about who we are inside. It's always been surface level. How are we being perceived? How do we change that? It's always been surface level. It's never been about what's my soul feeling? What's yeah. how am I mentally feeling? You know, it's never about that because people can't see what's in your soul, but people can see that you're not wearing a hoodie or your hair is straight, you know, things like that. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think in alignment with that, in what is, what does it mean? What, what, it, what does that look like to be a good black person? What does that mean? Um, that also it, it, kind of piggybacking what you were saying, Dua, it sort of having to have that mentality forces, I think all black people to have to grow up faster um, mm -hmm. than other people. And it's not a, it's not so much a like becoming more mature as it is like, oh, I have to be aware of how the world views me because if I'm not aware of how the world views me, yeah. my life is actively in right. danger yep. too often. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yes, what do I look like in front of the police? What do I look like in front yeah. of regular people walking, thinking that I might be some sort of threat to them when I'm not even paying attention to them? Yeah. Like my voice is too loud, that might scare somebody. They think that I'm fighting or doing whatever. Like I can't be running silly laughing because then they think I robbed somebody or I did something yeah. to somebody. You can't so, have a bad day. You no, can't you have a bad day. Can't unholy. be upset. Yeah. No. You're, you know, it's, it's always smiles. It's always got to be smiles and tap dancing. Yeah. And my feet are tired. And that fucks you up mentally. That's what I realize. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. Really does. It does fuck you up mentally. Yeah. Because you hold on to it for so long. 
It's exhausting. Exactly. And to piggyback on that, you know, the black community, or should I say minority community, right, are 20% more likely to have um, a diagnosis of major depression or or general anxiety because we're holding on to so much. I mean, you have intergenerational trauma. There's so many things. And because we are lacking um, sometimes adequate services, we can't address them. There's so much stigma when it comes to um, blackness and mental health that we have to unpack. You know, it's okay to say that I'm not okay, right? Why should we have to tone ourselves down to make someone else comfortable, right? Having to hold on to that. I, I like, I see it in my work every day. I have a particular colleague that she can voice her opinion. She can act out in a certain way, but let me do that that view would be so much different. Why do I have to quiet myself down to appease her or to, to win through the situation? But that's what it is. Even in the hospital where I work, where you have majority of people of color, like- It don't matter. It doesn't it's, matter. What was it, uh, twice as good, half the credit? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird to me how it's it's, you listen to everyone's story and there's nuances that are, you know, obviously different because everyone's yeah. walking a different path here and there. But like you said, there's that, that, that string that runs through it all. And it's like everyone's had the same experience of, of qu- questioning whether or not they've experienced um, that, you know, that, that covert situation, which then you go home carrying, overthinking, overstimulating mm-hmm. your mind about a situation, you know? And so you start looking at it, I'm like, okay, this is impacting how you're moving throughout the world. Like, I remember being at work, working in news, and I'm taking a call, and this person is basically cursing me out on the other side of the phone, and I'm just I can't do that. So I'm there. I'm mad. I'm drumming my fingers on the desk, and I hang out. My my boss is like, oh, well, somebody's ticked off. Mind you, in the same breath, my other coworker down the way slams the phone down, stands up, screaming curse words throughout the newsroom, and I'm just like, nothing? Nothing. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nothing. I'll just I'll just stay here. Don't mind awesome. me. And yeah. like yeah. And so you find yourself finding you're looking for different ways to have an outlet to release that, whether it's you know through music or or I do yoga and I meditate and I try to have, start my day with those things because you know again it's about finding joy and taking care of yourself and putting yourself first, even if it feels a little weird in situations and valuing. Mm-hmm your life and and at the same time telling other people like hey look i don't have the bandwidth to deal with whatever you got going on right now whether or not they can receive it that's (laughs) on them you know but like really i think more people need to and this is like universal but but definitely um for black people to learn to just love ourselves because it's it's something that in on tv we don't see that a lot Mm -hmm. you know there's always it's always so violent and it's always mm-hmm. so um, aggressive. And, and it's like, that's not, that's like such, that's not a full story. That's not a full that, person. That's not the blackness I know, you know? Like, like, I mean, yes, okay, we get into fights, whatever, you know, that's normal, that's human, right? That's yeah. human. They, don't, yes. they don't show like the tenderness. They don't show the difficulties of life. They, you know, they don't show, and then they don't show uh, a lot of like rich black people that are affluent and they, they live a good life and, and they don't need your money or your pity or anything else, right? So it's just weird that they kind of pigeonholed us or 
yeah, just hold us in this thing that we're always supposed to be violent or angry. And then that makes us have to be careful because that's always what they think we are, right? Yes. That's what that's what they think. For, I feel like for me, there's unlearning. Um, I'm unlearning what good black means. My definition of good black was viewed through a filter of like like we talked about white white and comfortableness versus all black is good black right mm -hmm. like ghetto black is good black um articulate good black nerdy black hippie black all black is good black and we've been taught that there are certain <laughs> stop doing the <laughs> blacks are not good enough and we in, not only do we internalize, but then we treat other Blacks as if they're less than. Oh, yes. that's so There's an unlearning that I'm trying to do, and I know I'm guilty. I know for a fact that mm -hmm. I'll stand in, in the grocery store and step, separate myself from someone, you know, who looks a certain way, and that's that's not okay. Nope. All, yep. all Black is good Black. You, yeah, I, I like that. All, right black, is good all black. black is good Black. Right on. I think I that remember. part of our self-love is... is acknowledging our complicity our own complicity and anti-blackness as well and yes, not there you go yeah mm -hmm. that's yes. right oh you guys it's <laughs> um, great oh you guys is there maybe like ending on a positive note is there a time you remember like the first time you remember seeing a black person represented in media uh, and it like really spoke to you because you hadn't seen that before just in a positive way Denzel Washington as Malcolm X oh! that's a good that's a good oh, one that's a good one show it changed my life I had no mm -hmm. idea. I was like, I can't wait to grow up and have black roommates. That's all I got from that show. <laughs> living single, yeah. Living single, oh, yeah. Right. Living single. The original friends. Yeah. That yes. <laughs> I think um, one that really stood out to me was always having been kind of like the thick girl. You know, you never seen any, okay. you know. And fatty fat facts out there. So, um, Takara, when she came on America's Next Top Model, I said, Oh, representing for the thick ladies. All right, it's okay to have a butt. All right. That was that was it for me. That was it for me. Mm -hmm. um, a different world. One, but, uh, different world. A different world. Me, Miles Morales in uh, the recent. Oh, oh yeah, man. Yes. Like, I wish I had that when I was a kid. Like, I'm, I'm oh. so, I'm waiting to see what all those little kids uh, grow up and create after watching that. So, yeah. That's for me. Maybe it's stuff that we create. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh. No. Oh, like this. Yeah. Um, so I know now everyone's like, well, not everyone, but a lot of white people are like, you know what? There's so much, there's so many black performers on TV now. So like, you're good. You made it. <laughs> you've done it. You've got Atlanta. Right. Insecure. insecure. Atlanta. <laughs> you're <Whoa>. good. <laughs> this, this is the best part of this is us. Like, whoa, yeah. hold on. Uh, and I still feel like this is just, these are just a few specific stories, a yeah. few specific characters and voices. And and there's still so much like a breadth and diversity right. within black people that the world hasn't been exposed to yet. And they're just like, oh yeah, okay. I guess you can also be like a nerd now. That's cool. That's cool. But there's so much. <laughs> I like to see diversity of shades, all different colors, yes. you know, commercials and beauty ads. Commercials. Um, 
yeah, I would love to see that more of that. And not, not so much for me, but for the younger generation yeah. to see that as normal, mm-hmm. not, you know, this is what black is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Band-Aids. We are- Band-Aids, yes. Band-Aids, band-aids finally. New bras, <laughs> underwear, pantyhose. <laughs> Oh, we're coming. We're coming. We have hit our time marker. Um, We are going to have to call it here. Uh, But we want to thank all of our storytellers again for joining us. Yes, uh, thank you so much. Valette Graham. Greg Cornejo. Cheryl Horn. Dua Osman and Sammy Lee and Uzuri Holder. Thank you so much for joining us for the panel thank you. Uh, thank you to our tech liz yeah liz thank you so liz. much liz has been putting resources actually in the uh in the twitch channel mm-hmm. um and i actually just got a fun interesting little text about an app called headspace which is like this meditation app yes. they're apparently offering a year free for people who are unemployed so mm-hmm. uh check that out i'm gonna post that in the magnet theater facebook group uh just a link to more information on that but, uh, thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah, thank you for joining us. This has been great. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Say it loud. You guys, we got to go. Yeah, we, we got to go. Yeah, we ran over. <laughs> we ran over. We ran over. We ran over. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Sammy, a podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. You can catch me on all social media platforms at Chasing underscore Sammy. Would you like to share your story with me? I'm always down for a good chat. Go to SammyLee.com to get in touch. That's S-A-M-M-E-E-L-E-I-G-H dot com. Until next time.